I think everyone gets to be famous for like 15 seconds on the internet. I know Andy Warhol said like 15 minutes, but what with the attention economy being what it is, I think 15 seconds seems more feasible. If you listened to the first episode of this podcast, you may recall that I said my claim to internet fame was that people got really mad about a post that I wrote about Matthew McConaughey's tiny forearms back when this podcast was a blog. That's still true. Uh, I'm yet to one-up the glory days of the 2012 blog market, unless someone wants to give me a million dollars and like endless adulation for making this thing. I'm open all hours for love and bribery. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not going to cover old ground with more content on Matthew McConaughey's very short arms, although I may say the phrase a few more times just to optimize that search engine, baby. Woo! Uh, But if you follow the pod on Instagram, that's at popculturebona, you may have seen me do a call out for content, asking if there was anything specific that people wanted to hear me talk about. One of the suggestions that I got was about Bill Murray's career arc, from like lewd comedies like Caddyshack to artistically kind of weighty things like Lost in Translation, where he gets to be at least a semi-serious actor. What's that got to do with our short-armed Southern King, Matthew McConaughey? Well, it made me think about the chances for cinematic redemption, specifically the opportunity that's often afforded to men as they age to kind of reinvent themselves from, like, raunchy sex comedy guy or generic rom-com guy to serious actoir. And you know who rode that career high so hard we even coined a portmanteau for it? Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> 2014 was the year of the McConaughey's. All right, all right, all right. Seemingly overnight, McConaughey went from roles in rom-coms like The Ghosts of Girlfriends Past to Oscar-nominated films and like a real scene-stealing performance in True Detective. Where did that come from? Could he, could he always act? Had we been hoodwinked by his broad chest and muscular but very short arms into thinking that he was a himbo? What gives? Seems like it's worthy of investigation, to be honest. I'm Alex. This is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition. And today, I'm thinking about Matthew McConaughey's career redemption. Now, Matthew McConaughey's career has gone through a number of phases through the years. He started out as a promising up-and-comer who was sort of accidentally iconic in one of his first roles. I even quoted it in the intro. And then throughout the 2000s, he was a sort of -of middle-of-the-road rom-com guy. This is obviously the peak of my high school years, which arguably should mean that I have some recollection of him being a bit hot. Not like heartthrob level or anything, but just sort of in a standard rom-com way where I thought he was like passably handsome. But I always remember him as feeling like a little bit too old or kind of grizzled (laughs) to be hot. Uh, He lacked some of that universal appeal that really big rom-com stars have and hold. Which is why the thing that lots of people remember about movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is not the perfectly reasonable on-screen chemistry, but the fact that Kate Hudson looks absolutely spectacular in that yellow dress. He was upstaged by a dress, is what I'm saying. But then from like 2011 onwards, his career starts to take an uptick and he starts getting better roles. 
roles that are outside of his usual rom-com stomping ground. He is fucking with the formula, to quote the man. And it starts paying off, eventually culminating in an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. It's the reconnaissance. The press love it. People write endless profiles. That should be a happily ever after. But then McConaughey starts making irredeemably bad films again. (laughs) Basically everything post-Oscar is a pile of garbage. And I do want to preface all of this by saying that, yes, I do include Interstellar in that. (laughs) I fucking hate Interstellar. It's such fake, deep, time-is-a-circle bullshit. And I can't believe that any of you fell for it. (laughs) Also, it's too long. So jot that down, I guess. (laughs) This pod... Anti-Interstellar. And like, even if you like Interstellar, it's still kind of an exception to the rule, right? Anyway, all of this timeline is to say that we've given Matthew McConaughey endless chances as he's aged to pick complex and diverse roles and redeem himself, to kind of plumb the depths of his abilities and pull out really spectacular performances that make us all go, wow, maybe he can act. So I wanted to spend some time today examining what aging as a famous man changes about the types of roles you receive, whether there was anything spectacular about the reconnaissance at all, and why those kinds of explosive career rejuvenations always inevitably fail. Was the reconnaissance all it was cracked up to be, or was it just a fever dream with a tabloid title? Let's find out, shall we? Okay, I'm going to be overly simplistic about something which is ultimately pretty complicated, but I think it's fair to say that we don't really let women age in Hollywood. The life cycle of most female stars goes young, beautiful, and talented, and therefore leading lady material. And then once they're past their prime, they're either someone's mum or they're like a terrifying hag who's a warning to the rest of us. The bigger the role, the more likely they are to be some haunting reminder of mortality, kind of dressed up as a speaking part. There are some notable exceptions to this, obviously, uh, but for the most part, aging is something to be feared because it's a decline. That's why so many talented women's foreheads don't move anymore. That's not a judgment call, that's just a sign the Botox is working. But what about the men? Are they scared of the impending meaningless fluffy roles as someone's wise old father? Are they frightened that someone will see their receding hairline and their drooping jowls and cast them as a metaphor for lost dignity? Probably not. (laughs) If they were, we'd probably see more men with immobile foreheads. But as it stands, men in Hollywood tend to have a longer shelf life before they're considered old, And then after they've tipped that point, they're afforded a certain dignity and wisdom that means that the roles that they get have a lot more meat on the bones. They're not a warning, they're wise. But Matthew McConaughey isn't old, so what am I even on about? I think to understand the foundations of the reconnaissance and the way that we as an audience were kind of primed for it, you have to understand the scope that we leave for male actors to improve with age or at least to be taken seriously. I mentioned in the intro that the reason I'm even writing this is because a friend mentioned Bill Murray. Now, Bill Murray got his start on Saturday Night Live as a screwball comedian. 
He went on to star in cult comedy classics like Caddyshack and Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day. But throughout his career, he's also made several false start attempts to become a serious actor. For example, The Razor's Edge, which he co-wrote, and which was a commercial and critical failure. These, like, attempts at dramatic roles didn't really start to stick until he was in his 50s, when we saw him do Lost in Translation and begin working with directors like Sofia Coppola, Jim Jarmusch, and Wes Anderson, who all have a little bit of weight as either serious or kind of cool. Now that he's in his 70s, we see him pop up in cameos as himself a lot, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with the icon status. But you can also see him doing roles like the Sofia Coppola directed On the Rocks, which rely on his age to deliver a certain gravitas to the performance. Compare that with a woman of a similar age. Uh, I'm going to use Sigourney Weaver as an example, and I'm definitely choosing her because she did Ghostbusters with Bill Murray, but they're also the same age. Uh, She's 71, he's 70. Now, I would never want to discredit anything Sigourney Weaver does because I love her. And obviously her career trajectory is slightly different to Bill Murray's in the sense that she isn't kind of known exclusively as a comic actress. But most of the things that I've seen her in recently have been very heavily referential to her earlier success with the Alien franchise. Having her pop up at the end of a science fiction film about aliens or a horror movie with ghosts is kind of like a fun little nugget for audiences, regardless of whether or not her performance is actually any good. Uh, It usually is. But being sort of unattached to auteur directors the way that Bill Murray is has meant that her appearances are kind of less consistently meaty in either screen time or substance. Now, while Matthew McConaughey is not in his 70s, he was facing something of a dilemma pre-McConaughey. Throughout the 2000s, McConaughey was this, like, go-to rom-com guy. This period of his career delivered such weighty performances as Ghosts of Girlfriends Past and Fool's Gold. I'm kidding. Most of these are objectively terrible films. But that's not the problem, actually. The problem is that you age out of the rom-com genre. Or at least you age out of the rom-com genre as it stood in the 2000s, where the plot was always some variation of, like, scumbag learns to love again, or successful nice guy woos career woman. (laughs) And in 2009, Matthew McConaughey hit 40. Now, obviously, 40 isn't so old that he didn't still have some rom-com life left in him, but it is rapidly careening to the point where people might say something about the age gap between you and your inevitably 25-year-old female co-star. Lead actresses. You keep getting older, they stay the same age. <laughs> Presented with a career crossroads, McConaughey turned away from the reasonably well-trodden road of decent-looking rom-com guy to decent-looking genre cinema guy. Think like uh, Gerard Butler's switch from rom-coms to action movies or Ryan Reynolds' admittedly slightly more eclectic comedy action bent. Instead, McConaughey seemed to be remembering the next big thing praise that was thrown his way after performances in movies like Dazed and Confused, Lone Star and Contact. McConaughey was starting to dwell on what it might mean to be a serious actor doing serious films. And lucky for him, opportunities were forthcoming, 
Although by his own admission, he had to take a pay cut in order to be considered for those roles. Too many years of cheesy romance had kind of tarnished some of his shine, apparently. So to facilitate his transition, McConaughey did a film called The Lincoln Lawyer. Now, it may surprise you to learn, the plot of this film is actually the title of the movie. Matthew McConaughey is a lawyer who works out of a Lincoln town car (laughs) in some sort of, like, Mad Max roving bureaucracy scenario. It's not a good movie, but it is a crime thriller. Now, a crime thriller is a good vehicle to kind of tentatively launch a career revamp because the central character is usually just flawed enough for you to prove some range. I read a lot of pieces about the rise of McConaughey around 2014 that talk about this sort of energy that radiates off his performances. There's this kind of roguish masculinity that comes off him. In a rom-com, that energy gets wrestled into a kind of charm point, but it can also be redirected into something darker. The Lincoln Lawyer has Matthew McConaughey as a Southern lawyer in perpetual motion, making deals, setting up bribes, breeding criminal charges. It let McConaughey prove that he could go a little dark, which gave him more scope to go even darker. Following The Lincoln Lawyer, he does a number of roles which are essentially variations on the same theme. In Mud, he plays a Southern fugitive with a heart of gold who guides a lost boy through his adolescence. In Magic Mike, he's a southern male strip club owner who parties hard and loves his work. In his much-lauded Wolf of Wall Street cameo, he's a self-serving Wall Street guy raking in the cash. And he admits that he took his role in Dallas Buyers Club because Ron Woodruff, the real-life AIDS patient who smuggled in unapproved pharmaceuticals to Texas, seemed like a wild man. (laughs) The parts take this roguish physical quality that McConaughey has and they amplify it. Which brings me to my next point, I guess. Now we have some context for the McConaughey's. It's time to ask ourselves if it was any good. I've watched about nine McConaughey movies back to back by this point, and I have to say my inkling is no. <laughs> I'm not really being unfair here, and I don't even really mean it in the sense of I think McConaughey's a bad actor. I think he's kind of fine, and like I'm willing to admit that I did enjoy some parts of the McConaughey's, particularly True Detective. Although actually I think we should give Woody Harrelson a little bit more credit for that, if I'm being honest. I think what I'm trying to say is that while McConaughey's heyday partially occurred because we were so surprised to see him do something other than like make flirty eye contact with charming female lead, I think the other part of it has to do with McConaughey himself and his life stage. Like I said, in my reading of various McConaughey's think pieces from around the time, people seem really drawn to this kind of physical presence that he has on screen and very keen to conflate that with his off-screen persona. Now, that's not incredibly uncommon for celebrities, Much of the mechanism of fame kind of rests on having a public persona that lends itself to likability and therefore ongoing employment. We often glean part of that persona from the roles that these actors play. Um, So I was reading, for example, about Sylvester Stallone's rebranding of himself into this so-called Jerry Action star. That's a portmanteau of geriatric and action, in case you were wondering. But it was referring to his late career movies like The Expendables. Now, in the article by Mark McKenna, 
it suggests that there's this conflation of real and on-screen personas for Sylvester Stallone in the eyes of the public. His career-defining roles like Rocky and Rambo have him playing an underdog, and he's used those roles to frame himself as an underdog in his public persona too. Meaning that as he ages, he can still take on the action roles that he's known for because he's seen as still fighting this uphill battle against big studios. I think we've kind of done the same thing for Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) Pre-McConaughey, his most iconic role was Dave Wooderson in Dazed and Confused, the southern 20-something responsible for lines about high school girls and giving half-baked life philosophies about the fact that you've just got to keep living. And while it might have been blunted somewhat with his waltz through rom-coms, something of that role has kind of seeped through everything he's ever done on screen and off. He's a stoner philosopher that somehow managed to tap into this like vital universal truth. Critics said his new choices felt really organic and deliberate and bold. (laughs) Rachel Syme in The New Yorker said that McConaughey was, and I quote, Tapping into something essential, remaining himself while stretching. You can't see me, I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Roles like Dallas in Magic Mike were seen to somehow find that roguish stoner genius of his youth and drive it to the kind of darkness that comes with age. His career resurgence is seen as reflecting something essential or dynamic in McConaughey himself. I think the McConaughey's led us to believe that McConaughey had taste. He was choosing dark and interesting roles that seemed to reflect his own reckoning with his age and public persona. I mentioned in the intro that men age into wisdom rather than decrepitude, and McConaughey's roles from 2011 onward seem to be exploring the kinds of fringe existence that this stoned genius persona inevitably hits when it's left unchecked. And while I do think his career moves themselves were a conscious result of a man reckoning with a changing industry and an aging bod, I think I would be more inclined to believe in the essential and vital nature of the thing if it wasn't for the fact that the fading years of the McConaughey saw him miss repeatedly. Following his Oscar, he simply stopped doing anything worthwhile, (laughs) except allegedly Interstellar, but made my thoughts on that garbage fire abundantly clear. Find better sci-fi, people. Jesus. Anyway, writing for Vox, Charles Bromesco called these post-Oscar miscalculations a pretty common mistake for one-off Oscar winners. Namely, that a good actor is a serious actor and that serious acting is necessarily good acting. A post-award McConaughey has chosen serious films with serious directors, like Gus Van Sant's Sea of Trees, which is about a white guy who inexplicably decides to kill himself in the Okigahara Forest in Japan, but is saved by the ghost of his wife masquerading as a depressed Japanese guy. (laughs) make of that garbage fire what you will. Uh, He's also tried it on with period dramas like Free State of Jones, which covers off a rebellion against the Confederacy during the American Civil War and is unfortunately just a white savior movie. (laughs) Uh, Or Gold, which is a promising kind of double cross movie about a gold mine that has McConaughey in a bald cap, uh, but suffers from an unfortunately bad script. 
As an audience, we were willing to believe that McConaughey's moves were like a calculated re-evaluation of his own career and that they showed this understanding of how to move forward. And what his post-Oscar choices prove is that he ultimately probably understands less than we thought, or at the very least he doesn't have the good taste to back it up. None of this is a judgment call on McConaughey as an actor or as a person. I think some actors will only win one Oscar and some will win many. Some actors will consistently and successfully reevaluate their own skills to produce nuanced and interesting performances, and some actors will show rare moments of insight before immediately blowing it. It's an art form, and we can't all be blessed. <laughs> Audiences and critics wanted to root for McConaughey because there's something likable about his linked off-screen and on-screen personas, and by making a big deal about it, we all had to watch him stack it in real time which is kind of unfair to the talent that he does actually possess. All this is to say, Godspeed, my tiny-armed southern prince. May you soon find your niche. Well, uh, that was the reconnaissance. When I wrote my blog post on Matthew McConaughey's very small arms, it was in the early throes of the McConaissance, and I got so much hate mail. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, people are really passionate about this very average dude. And then two years later, he won an Oscar. <laughs> so uh, joke's on me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> if you have a favorite McConaughey film, or you uh, just want to accuse me of being a jealous man with a small penis, which is an actual piece of hate mail that I received. Talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace. Peace.